Hello and welcome to Talking Dad UK, a podcast where we discuss all things dad. Follow and support the podcast on social media at Talking Dad UK One. All links will be in the show notes and descriptions. Hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. After all of that, we're getting to day two. Uh, we're coming into day two. Before we get into the bands, I'll start off by talking about some of the stuff that happened around and about the site. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the accounts from people there. Um, by day two, people are realising how hot it is, how poorly organised it, 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 it is, the, the vast distances between where the camping area the food area and the stages are there's no shelter from the sun they're on an air base with no trees or anything around them um some of them wanted to get on the bus and and do the the, the bus run into the town so they could get supplies and things like that but the queues were that big that people right. were just giving up because they were going to miss parts of the show if they stayed in the queue same thing happened for the water there was free water available but there were three or four fountains available. There appeared to be people showering in them and stuff, according to the documentary. People getting in them and washing in them and all sorts. It said on the documentary that because it was that hot, people were just standing in them and washing themselves off. And that was yeah, there was an account water. in the spin, um, in the spin article as well that someone had basically drunk the water and decided that it was bad because it made her really poorly. Like basically, the water, right. drinking the water gave her a chronic dose of the shit. Like. So, so she was avoiding okay. drinking water. She wasn't buying water because she couldn't yeah. afford it, and she felt and she felt like yeah. it was the water that made her poorly. Yeah. So she's not drinking anything. Well, beer probably overpriced beer, but. Well, the the um, people were queuing for the water fountains so they could get a drink, refill water bottles, and things like that. Queues were so big that people were giving up, didn't want to do it. People were getting annoyed. They were hot. They were getting frustrated. Some bright spark decides to break the water. That's mains, right. Yeah. So. So that they can access it without having to queue. And then that then starts to seep into the rest of the site, into the tent area, into the toilet area. And from one of them videos I could see where he's filming from the top of the, the wagon, he's filming the the um, stage, and then he comes around to look, sort of pan round and look at the sides. And you can see like two streams gathering, running down towards where the, the, the crowd area is. And, and by day two as well, Again, the poor organisation, the toilets started to overflow and the company that they'd employed to... Um, they'd hired to, kids, to, didn't they? To service it, gave up, basically. Yeah, from what, what I read, they'd hired, like, 17, 18-year-old kids to do it and, like, the kids hadn't been given, like, any water to drink or anything, Didn't weren't really trained in what they were meant to be doing and then so the kids were just like, it's just a big compost heap, so no yeah, one's coming to we'll help us, so what are we going to do? And by the time the mains water was running into it and overflowing it, yeah. it was then raw sewage running in them streams down towards the crowd and the tent area. Come to Woodstock, lovely bit of cholera. <laughs> um, and, and on top of all that, they were being overcharged for the food and drink and the water was $4 a bottle. The, I didn't write down exactly how much the pizza was, but one account said if you wanted to buy three or four pizzas judging, like based on the sizes per day to keep you fed... As well as the water, as well as buying beers, you were looking at maybe ninety to a hundred dollars per day. Yeah, so I I heard that like a, a small pizza, like maybe five or six inches pizza, was like fifteen dollars. 
yeah. what's that? That's like, that size, a bake. Wow. You know those Chicago Tame deep dish right, ones you get yeah, two yeah. in a box? That sort of size. Okay. Um, you, know, you know which ones I mean? The little frozen rain yeah. ones. So that sort of size, $15. So $15. a tenner for one of them. And there was a lot of merch stands and that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, they were trying to get money out of you any which yeah, way yeah, they yeah. could. But people were paying $100 a day just to be fed and watered with a bit of beer on top. So it's it's no surprise they started to get angry. What I will say on that is like when we used to go down to Reading quite a bit, it was always the last sort of thing we thought about was food. Like I think the first year we went, we actually like took a stove and like a little grill thing and some <laughs> yeah. tins of beans in a pot and that sort of thing. And like none of it got used. And you'd quickly like um I'm vegetarian now, like I wasn't then. Um, but you'd quickly learn not to eat anything that had meat in it at the festival. So you like the the best place was like the Thai noodle place or whatever. Because you yeah. could get like a big bowl of noodles for like four quid and that would just it would soak up some beer and it would just fill you up like it would probably yeah, you. Yeah. and then there was one year we found like St John's ambulance were doing a thing you could go and get um a cup of soup and a roll for like 25p 30p just to make sure that you had some calories in you Something, you know yeah. it, it was like a welfare kitchen type thing by day two again with the overflowing of everything and the showers being in close proximity to all of that that was happening the showers were getting overflowing as well and and people were up to their knees, it said, in, in standing water and sewage at some points. Um, they were saying that it was like a basically reminiscent of the refugee camp mm-hmm. and a lot of people chose not to go anywhere near them and use them at all. And they were separated, male and female, but they were only separated by a thin piece of tarp and that soon got ripped yeah, down. Yeah, so yeah. that they it but yeah. So day two was escalating from day one if day one wasn't bad enough already. They, they talk about in the documentary, because while all this is going on, the organisers, which were... John Sher Michael and Michael Lang. Michael Lang was part of the original one, mm-hmm. and, and John Sher came on board, I think, for this one. Yeah. Um, and he, he was... Yeah. So they, they were doing, like, daily press conferences with the, with, with the press and with MTV, and they were getting questioned about water and things like that. And I think John Sher says in, says in the uh, documentary that... You know, rather than he questions the the yeah instead, journalist instead of and pro- says rather proselytizing, than, why don't you yeah. come up here and give us some answers? And she and I'm thinking like, she's a journalist; she's meant to be asking you questions. Yeah, yeah. you're the organizer. And just while we're on that man, so on, I was listening to the podcast about this, um, and he's interviewed on there, and he was saying, and I. So I'm driving my work van down the road. I've got the podcast on. And he says, um, you know, I'm fairly critical of, and I'm expecting him to say, like, Limp Biscuit or my partner who didn't organise this or whatever. And he says, "Yeah, I'm especially, you know, I'm especially critical of um, all the girls walking around with no clothes on. What did they expect to happen? And I was literally went, fuck you. Yeah, like, like in my van, really. Like, you know, it's just. But if that's the attitude, and he's just an old bald fuck, wasn't he? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, no, it's true. That's that's. I saw. I think I saw that on a another video about him. Yeah. I couldn't find much on him to be right. honest. Um, I know obviously Michael Lang was involved in the yes. original, um, and he himself is a bit of a wild bomb. Um, 
he's not really a festival organizer let's say <laughs> no he liked hanging out with the bands and stuff didn't he but couldn't really yeah. organize a piss up in a brewery smoking a bit of weed with a couple of bands that's what he liked to do that was his forte and uh he made a career out of poorly organizing music festivals anyway um yeah so that was that was the kind of attitude from from the other one and it's it, it's something that is an undercurrent throughout the rest of the two days. Yes. Um, should we get into a little bit of day two and who was playing? Yeah. So do you want to go from the biscuit on or? I've written down Kid Rock. Oh, right. Cool. Just, yeah. No, go for it. Just it was, D- because... it was DMX that day as well. Or was DMX on oh, the DMX, DMX came out and they talk about it in the documentary yeah. and the song he played. Yes. With the, the call and response. The call and response and... with the end. A lot of the N word. Yeah, and like I think the guy says in there is like, there's no, there's nothing clicking in there in the crowd's head of what you know they might have black friends and yet they're shouting that back. There's no thought of like, I wonder what my friend would think to me shouting this or, yeah, like. But also, he plays he comes out and plays yeah, it. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I know that. It's just And he and that and I am trying to get my head around it of why. And I'm and I know it's a popular song. I like DMX. I've listened to the mm. I've listened to DMX. I just as I'm watching the documentary and they're talking about that that point in particular, it's just like why did he do it? What did he expect? What could they have done? Like I go on the first um, so we've started this is real tangent now we started watching scrubs with the kids right and on the very first episode i think it is you, you've watched scrubs haven't you yeah so uh zach braff's character jd says to his his mate turk who's um who's a black doctor he says you know when um we've got the the hip-hop and the rap songs going on in the car and they sing that word if i'm singing along with the song is it all right and he's like no it's not and that's just that's just the rule, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> hasn't that always been hasn't that always been the rule for you? Yeah. And I know I, I knowing a song that's got that in it, I would in my head like because I know the words, yeah. but I wouldn't say it. And But in that scenario with a big crowd and he comes out and does it and puts the emphasis on yeah. that. I, bit, I feel he can but, do it though, because it's his song. I don't think fair. I don't think the response is there i don't like the, the response isn't right yeah and if it's yeah no the response isn't right that's, that's it i don't think they should have no. done it. I, 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 but again i think that's an element of the type of crowd that is there at that festival yeah. right so kid rock walks out in a fur coat and a, and a hat and a pimp cane Looking like a fucking a, wrestler from WWE or something. In a in a hundred degrees. Um Was it the dude who played Mini Me? No, Mini Me introduced Simp Biscuit, didn't he? Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Somebody else was out with Kid Rock though, I think. He did have one of his um small people friends with him. Yeah. Um anyway. He He talks about Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky scandal in yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's move. Well, no, I don't think He's we need de- to move on because, again, we've, and this is getting back to the, the people, like the ages of the kids there. Like, so, and say kids, I was exactly the same age, right? And there's a difference yeah. between, I mean, there's a 
difference between America in like from like ninety six to two thousand and here from ninety six to two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Here, for all its bullshit, when you look back, we just elected a, a, a new Labour government. Things were hopeful. We things were, after so many years of factorism and then watered down factorism, we had the promise of a new government and change coming, and we were in in america they'd had the promise of bill clinton who was supposed to be bringing this change and being this beacon of progressive hope and i feel he did achieve a lot of it but he got sucked into just being another powerful man getting his willy sucked yeah. and i think there was a lot of um well fuck this the thing is does, do you see what I'm getting at? It's like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. We, we were promised this and now it's not happening. Like, I, yeah. I, so, and I, I, th I think there are certain points within each of these three days in particular yeah. where things that happened didn't need to happen. Yeah. And that, rightly or wrongly, incites the crowd yes. in the negative way that it didn't need to. But when you employ these bands to come on and put on a show yeah that's what you expect them to yes. do i think but it's the attitude of the crowd and kid rock towards monica Lewinsky, who yes. is i'm gonna I, uh, victim is the wrong word because from what i understand every act that she engaged in with bill Clinton was consensual but the way she was treated and vilified and demonized afterwards and slut shamed is exactly what gives these bloke these men the entitlement to grab boobs that yeah. aren't theirs. Yeah. That that that's they, that's why that's think yeah. what that's what I'm getting at. It all links. Yes. However tenuously it, yeah. it does link. And you know, he's at the time he's dating Pamela Anderson. Mm -hmm. He's he's in the media. It's getting talked about. She was there back backstage. It even shows her in the documentary mm -hmm. uh, briefly. Again, sorry, just quickly, just to this is another quick point, just about attitude towards women at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at the moment on Disney Plus, we've got Pam and Tommy. I saw you mention yeah, this. So, I, I, me and my wife are planning to watch it at some point. Right, we haven't yet. <laughs> I've heard that it's really, really good. And I, okay. and I watched the first episode and I thought Seth Rogen was really good in it. After watching right. the first episode, I read that Pamela Anderson wasn't on board with this show being made. Okay. Right. So the, the show is about her and Tommy Lee's sex tape getting leaked and all of everything that came after that. Okay. So to me... So her her sex tape that she made with her husband was stolen and then leaked for the world to see. So she didn't consent for the original video to be seen. And now she's mm -hmm. not consenting to a recreation of what's on that video being shown. Yeah. So to me, that is like, I don't want to watch the show now, now knowing that no. if she was fully on board with it, that's, that's yeah. fine in my book, but it just feels, a, a, it feels a bit voyeuristic. It, yeah. Like uh, and again, I just think it's it's touches on the attitude towards women around the same time. I think it's again tenuous, but yeah, you know, yeah. And 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 I I was 
Uh, granted, I haven't done masses of research into this, but at that time, and I, and I was a kid, so I missed a lot of it, and I would have seen it a bit later um, as I grew up, a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, puberty and things like that. Things like that don't leave your mind through that stage mm-hmm. of your life. So you've got Pamela Anderson's there. They're dating. They're in the media a lot. They're talked about a lot, probably because of her past as well yeah. and, and previous There was a bit of Tommy Lee and Kid Rock beef as well, I think. Because he the, was doing Methods of Mayhem of awards, by that point, wasn't he? One of the awards, they had a fight, didn't they? Yeah, that's right, yeah. I think, was it Kid Rock tried to run across a table, but Tommy oh, Lee yeah. beat him up? Probably beat him up with his <laughs> massive cock, I expect. Yeah, I mean, how can you live <laughs> up to that as well? So, anyway. <laughs> um, that, from, what, from my memory, um, however diluted down because I was young, like there was a lot in the media around that time of glamour models or porn stars or like famous women dating rock stars and rap stars and it was all a big deal and it was all a big thing mm-hmm. and yeah i think you had like you have carmen electra was dating dave navarro as well wasn't she yes maybe a bit later was that heidi Clum? he probably had a few didn't he My probably mind. yeah um Yes, there we were in. We were at peak super supermodel, so yes. it was definitely like Kate Moss and Claudia Schiffer and um, Cindy Crawford a little bit earlier, I suppose. But like, yeah. um, but then over here we had sort of moved into that period from like '96 of girl power of I'd like to say female empowerment, but I'm not sure it entirely got there. Mm. Um, Again and again, it might be me and my rose tinted spectacles. I think like the early nineties were a really good, good spell for female empowerment. You had um, bands that were being, and I know they touched on this on the documentary. You've got bands that have, you know you've got members who are like the first kids from broken homes, if you like, or the first childrens of of divorce, and the first real wave of men being brought up by their mothers alone and they talk about that in the documentary yeah. in relation to 94 yeah. don't they and and that era and that generation of of why 94 worked yes. and maybe 99 didn't yeah and you've also got a, a period in america again it's like like hillary clinton for all the mess and rain politically around her now when they first came to power she was a different type of first lady to what they were used to she was a first lady who was gonna do stuff and she was gonna she was gonna have ideas and she was gonna push for like the agenda that she believed in as first lady whereas previously you kind of went and read to the children on thanksgiving and that was yeah you you know so yeah and i think i think that was all quite empowering you know it's quite a good good period to be in and then it all just seemed to disappear like yeah. like over here we had like um we had that culture didn't we and fhm and nuts and all of that and that kind of got redressed a little bit with the girl power but i don't think it ever sort of brought it back enough hmm. so. yeah yeah i, d- I just I, I speaking less about kid rock for his set and his yeah. music and more about a little bit around what he said who he was with, the the media around it, and and just thinking back to that time in my memory of 
like porn being mm. in the mainstream for the first time ever, really, through the, the 90s. We had a few infamous tape releases, didn't we? So um, there was obviously Pamela Anderson and was there, oh, there was one of the supermodels? I think had a tape release. And then Paris Hilton was the other big one. That would that have been about two thousand and two, three? Would, would have been a bit of it in, in the noughties. Yeah. Yeah. There. Um Kim Kardashian as well around that yes, time. Yes, but I, I, I mean I'll I'll be honest, I was a good boy and didn't look at that sort of thing. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, Limp Biscuit. Yeah. So Limp Biscuit come on and the crowd like from the videos you see him, it's just an absolute never ending sea of people. Yeah. Like, like I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen a crowd like it. No. Like it's, it's, and yeah, like if you were there, you would understand how big it is and how busy yeah, it was, yeah. but seeing it on the cameras, it's from incomprehensible. The stage view, it's huge. It's incom- isn't it? like how anyone can see anything, even how anyone can even see the, the big screen it's like it's got to be like three Wembley stadiums and before we go into Limp Biscuit, their set and, and everything that was said about them and then the yeah. blame they got if you're in their shoes I and, think we're going to make the blo- same point here but carry on okay and you've blown up to the heights they have as quickly as they have this is your pinnacle yeah. this is the biggest thing you're ever going to do and you walk out and you see it you think this has got to be the best gig I've ever played. It has to be. Look at all the people. Yeah. And that split second and then that's it. You're off into the first song. It, what else could they have done? So my view on this is 99, they, they'd been like their, their second album came out like the month before, didn't it? Um, so, you know, their first album came out two years previous. So they, they're a band on the rise and, they're going on before Rage Against the Machine and Metallica, who are as big as they are. I think like Rage Against the Machine at that time in '99 when um, uh, Battle for Los Angeles came out, like they, yeah. I think they were the biggest, like one of the biggest rock bands going. They were massive, and the complete antithesis of Limp Biscuit. But that's another, that's another point. Um, yeah. And then Metallica, again, massive, like headlines, even Rage Against Machine don't go on after Metallica, like, but they're pros and they've played big stuff before. To be fair, what else, like, rock bands, you go on, you don't want, you want to show you're as good as the bands coming on after you. You, you need yeah. to bring it. You don't want to be upstaged by anyone. There's all the talk back of uh, um, when Jimi Hendrix came to London and it was like, well, if I've got to go on after, if I've got to go on after The Who, then I'm going to set my guitar on fire because <laughs> The Who were, really, were like this really good, good live act. It was always like, you know, we don't want to go on after The Who. Even Hendrix was worried about going on after The Who, you know? So, yeah. So, like, I, I understand why Limp Biscuit brought it to the extent that they did. But they come on and it, it, it says, it, do you ever get, do you ever wake up and you just know it's going to be one of those days? Do they, they don't open do with they that. Do they not today? open with that? Because I, 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 it implied, that's what it kind of implied to me watching the. I didn't think they right. opened with that. I thought. Did they, they not have to stop it for a bit first. and then they come back on with it or something? Well, 
Fred Durst had issues with his monitors right. and couldn't hear anything, apparently. Um, and George, who's been on my podcast, let me know that right, fact okay, earlier cool. on on Instagram. So thanks for that. Um, but they they had issues because the organisers were asking them to calm the crowd down. But they said, like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. How, how can we... <laughs> we're going to play in front of them. How can we calm them down? And they just went out. So I think they opened up with something else. And then they could see the the energy and the sea mm. of the crowd. By that point, the plywood was already being ripped off the the tower, and they were sort of crowd surfing on it. And then he was like pointing to the crowd, saying, "Oh, that's pretty cool." And then I think he comes into, "Do you ever feel like yeah, it's one of them days where she's going to break some shit?" Yeah, and then they're going to break goes, stuff. And and then on just on that video, it's just a sea of. Bounce, 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 yeah. and there's fists and elbows flying, and that's where, like, I think I've written down in my notes, like, not just mosh pits, but proper violence in the mosh yeah. pits. People are physically trying to kill each other. It looks like it looks yeah. fucking tits. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. But in in fairness, I think they went on and they played in the biscuit set. That's that's the thing, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I don't think they could have done it. Like, if they go on and they and he doesn't say a word to them and they just play their songs and they're a bit shit, the crowd yeah. are going to go mental because they've not got what they've paid for. If they pull out an acoustic and do an acoustic version of Nucky, they're never going to live it down. I don't know if they got that be... in them, to be honest. But... <laughs> be forever talked about as the worst gig ever at a festival. Um, they had to do what they had to do and then... Just doesn't help that who came did Rage come on after them? So right, so um, Rage Against the Machine came on afterwards. I mean, you've you've got a night there on day two of um, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. That's hard, heavy music for a whole night's worth, isn't it? On the de- the second day of a festival, given all the things we've already discussed and things that were going wrong already. Right here we go. I've, this is this is from this this is a, around the Limp Biscuit set from the Spin magazine article. Uh, so he, uh, Fred does yelled, "How many people ever woke up in the morning and just decided you're going to break some shit before tearing into break stuff?" Men in the aud- audience took the song literally. They broke arms, legs, teeth, noses, collarbones. Scalps were lacerated by flying half-full bottles. One mo- mosher suffered a compression fracture of the spine. Broke his fucking back in a mosh pit. That's rough. Another broke two ribs and prodded the medic, treating him to finish quickly so he could get back in the pit. Another boy's <laughs> shoulder popped out of its socket. As he stumbled towards the security, his mates yelled, Pussy. God. Madness, That's isn't it? absolute carnage. Yeah, yeah. Carnage, like, and but like, it's like it's almost like that crowd were ready for that at that point. They were waiting for that. That just doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't just go that crazy all of a sudden. It's I don't know. It's just a, a real odd thing, and that's why I was so interested to try and talk about it in a way. It's because it just seems absolutely madness. At one point. Durst says, oh, it says, Durst made an announcement. They they want to ask you to mellow out. They said too many of your people are getting hurt. Don't let nobody get hurt. Good use of the English language there, Fred. But don't let nobody get hurt, but I don't think you should mellow out. Okay. 
Um, less than three minutes later, the Sandwoods are restored, and then Biscuit, Torrent, and Nookie Durth try to body surf through the audience using only a sheet of liberated plywood. Um, and then when they played Faith, the crowd went nuts. He's as good a diplomat as he is a lyricist. Women who were sitting on top of their boyfriend's shoulders were smothered by hands. Tops were torn away like tissue paper. Girls fought valiantly to keep their pants on as boys tugged them down around their knees. So we're getting back into that again. Yeah, it's just it's it's just like as soon as the band starts, it's just license. It to just do gives anything. them license to do yeah, do whatever they want, and it, that's what I mean. It's like they're waiting for it. Yeah, they're ready for it. It doesn't. It doesn't just happen because because yeah. Fred Durst told them to break shit. It was already there. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. I think it's so. There's a another, and I don't, really don't want to be dwelling on like the sexual violence of it all. But there was a account from one of the EMTs, and I think it was on the documentary as well, that an ambulance pulled up and like seven or eight people got out of the back of the ambulance. And or whatever vehicle they were using to ferry people around. And then the driver got out and didn't have a shirt on and directed him, his mate, to the to the passenger seat and said, whatever you do, don't let anyone get anywhere near her. And then they went and found a nurse, came back with a blanket and took the girl from the van into the crisis unit. And then he realised that the guy didn't have a shirt on because he'd given the shirt to the girl. And he, yeah. he's like, what's going on? And he just turned to me and said, mate, they're fucking savages. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that yeah. in the documentary. And you're just like, shit, like, it's... And there's yeah. reports on the on the Saturday. There was one I heard, again, on this podcast of a girl who was unconscious in a tent and people were just going through the tent and having a go. They reckon like, like, there was a report that maybe 20... 20 men had to go on this girl while she was unconscious. Like, you know. It's just, I can't, I can't think of any more words no, than no, just I, to say I, it's I, absolute madness. It's just, but I, I struggle to find the connection yeah. between a couple of hard and heavy bands that maybe said a couple of things they shouldn't have and go into that extreme where it's just complete animalistic caveman yeah. behavior it feels like a, some kind of weird social experiment doesn't it yeah it's just so odd so odd um okay right rage against the machine i feel from what i've like from what i've read and what i've heard came on and kind of tried to tone it down a little bit but how much can you tone down rage against the machine that's the thing isn't it but i think that a lot of them, certainly in the mosh pits at the front, mm. a lot of them concert goers, Rage Against the Machines music probably goes over their head. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Not not the energy and no, the no, anger no. of it. That was probably still in full effect in the mosh pit. So there's a but, there's a so you can take the aggression and the style of Limp Biscuits music and the energy and the style of Rage Against the Machine, and there's not a world of difference. Yeah. But Rage Against the Machine, uh, they have a message, they have a voice, they Say, have... And you don't have to believe it, but you know they believe it. Like, Zach spits what he's got to say at you with yeah. a venom that you don't get to just by phoning it in. Yeah. And... Like you say, yeah, I don't think they're there for that. They're just the crater, just there for a tear up. 
they're already well on the way, aren't um, they? And I can't imagine that many of them would be looking at each other, think having just done what they've done and gone through Limp Biscuit set, and they're looking at each other in a mosh pit, thinking, "Oh, it's Rage on next. Yeah. It's not really for us, is it? Well, should we go and yeah get a drink?" And but then Metallica <laughs> are on afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and if you want to chill out, you're in the other alternative at this point is to go and watch the Chemical Brothers. And if you're into if you're into Limp Biscuit and Metallica, you're not going to risk not seeing Metallica to go and watch Chemical Brothers, Chemical are you? Brothers. I, I quite like the Chemical Brothers, I will just say, it's, but it's like they're worlds and worlds apart. And Completely opposite. This is kind of what I was getting at earlier, that if you, if you were to have, even if you had a band which isn't, as heavy as that, even if you managed to get someone like REM or even the Foo Fighters, then you know, you'd have enough people would leave to you know, would rather watch the Foo Fighters than than Limp Biscuit, then would or would, yeah, then would rather watch Lost Lobos than Limp Biscuit, you know, and it thins the crowd out and it might just settle things down a bit, yeah. So, but um, so Rage come on and they do their thing, and at one point, um, they set fire to an American flag as an act of protest and. Um, and I think that was also a bit of a call back to um, like the flag burning and stuff, the anti-Vietnam stuff at Woodstock oh, 69. Yeah. So yeah. all through the festival, there's these little nods and winks to, you know, stuff that went on back in 1969. Um, you know, like, like we'll get to it on Sunday where um, Willie Nelson plays and when Creed play, they bring on Bobby Krieger from The Doors you know, oh, the, we've got one of the hippie bands, but like the Doors didn't even play in '69. Yeah, you know, but a lot, but a lot of it as well goes over the head. Yes, because of because yes. the, the young kids that and there's there a for that there, don't there, really know. There's a quote from Everlast which I I want to get to at the end, so don't okay. let me forget about yeah. that. Um, but um, and then I think Meta- so after Rage Against the Machine, Metallica come out, and I think they're just pros. They just know what's going on out there. You know, a Metallica set is a Metallica set. It's going to be hard and fast and heavy, and they're going to be tight as fuck. But there's not a lot, from what I gather, there's not a lot of interaction between the band and the crowd. I saw an interview that they did afterwards, and they said that when they, when they sort of get to their level, paraphrasing, you get to their level, you play as many gigs as they've played, as many festivals, regardless of what the atmosphere is barring certain things uh, if they knew about it their job is to just go out and play their Mm -hmm. set do it go home and that's what they did by the sounds of it but there's a degree of professionalism isn't there so in no point is james hetfield on a piece of plywood crowd surfing like fred durst was yeah encouraging everybody else to do it but in fred durst's defense if he had been playing for nearly 20 years by that point i don't expect he would have been either i think he got caught up in the moment and got carried away like my hero eddie vedder used to climb lighting rigs and, and jump into the crowd for off lighting rigs and stuff so you know when they're younger that's why they give eddie vedder a guitar to stop him nearly killing himself him like it. yeah um but <laughs> yeah. you know so you know give fair play to fred durst he put on a great a great show like he was supposed to he didn't get upstaged by the massive bands coming afterwards and yeah. i don't feel that they can be held entirely responsible for everything that went to shit no so my my reaction of what do you think of Woodstock 99 isn't biscuit riots that's wrong okay then biscuit 
play the show they were meant to. Everything else let them down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's my fight. I don't like Limp Biscuit. I think I've made that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Metallica played and um, they played um, a set. I think that was about it for Saturday night, wasn't it? Yeah, I think by the time Metallica were playing, I mean, at that point, aside from the music and the gig, they had like over a thousand people were being being treated for hypothermia and heat exhaustion as well at that point in the medical tents were being overrun. Um, and obviously Metallica come on, you're just going to get a bigger mosh pit, yeah. whether they were in, whether they know who Metallica are and they like that music or not, you're going to get the people that were interested mm-hmm. in it at the back that for, for Limp Biscuit have now moved to the front and the other idiots are still there trying to fight. Um, it was just a clash, and... and I also I don't know how far out you could get if you wanted to. There's that as well, isn't there? If there's that many people just stuck together, and I think this is half the issue. So um, we'll touch on David DeRosa, who was there to like his he he was a festival goer, and his mission for the whole thing was to be down the front and get on the MTV video for the Metallica gig. Metallica, yeah, and um, he. One report said he was separated from his friend. His friend said that he couldn't take it and, and tapped him on, on his shoulder and said, I'm going to be over there and force his way out. And then they didn't see each other again. And yeah. from what the report here says, um, about halfway through the set, it, at past midnight, David DeRosa walked into a first aid content complaining of heat exhaustion. Um, his, his friend couldn't find him then until Sunday afternoon, and then when he was told by medics that DeRosa had been evacuated by helicopter to the university hospital, um, and he passed away from hyperthermia, which is obviously getting too hot that your body can't control it. And I think the medical people thought he was ODing because he was freaking out a bit, and right. you know, um, he's gone to watch his fucking favorite band, and he's fucking died like. It's fucking... Yeah, and it does focus quite a bit on him in the documentary because he had a journal with him. Yeah, that's he? right. Um, and his friend, his friend that was with him, is part of the documentary. But he obviously, unless you knew, you don't find mm-hmm. out that it, what had happened, and his friend was there until the very end when his friend tells you what had happened, gives his account and of, of what had happened. But yeah, I think it was to what what it, as I heard on um, on the podcast about. Uh, about the festival was that so it was like obviously so hot and so packed in there that like if you moved you were forced to move so you're giving off heat everyone's giving off heat if it's like they work in fahrenheit in america where you're saying like if it, yeah. if it's a hundred degree day all right the sun's gone down but with all that extra body heat it's just uncontrollable and then yeah. they spray water on you to try and cool you down but as soon as the, the, the water is taken off you it starts evaporating and it creates all this humidity and then you just, yeah. your your organs just stop working, like. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds a fucking horrible way to go. It does, yeah. So, uh, so Sunday comes round. Yeah. And I think the heat has dropped a little bit. You've got, still got people going nuts in the, um, in the rave tent, or not the tent, in 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 the hangar that's like the party, rave, the rave up place. Um, there's a monkey sex cult going around. Did oh, you hear about the monkey sex cult? I didn't. Know. So I'm I'm sure you've seen them in it, festivals. It's just you get a load of drunk high dickheads going around pretending to be monkeys, and then they 
try and get people to join their cult of, no, of monkeys. Yeah. Have you not seen that anywhere? So basically, they they start going around um, making monkey noises at people, and they'll keep going. They'll get in your face until you do it back to them, and then you can either join in with them or not. Okay, but this one is turned into a the, the monkey sex cult was a group of guys and girls, but mostly guys who were trying to meet girls. Um, it has to all. It's all to do with the mating thing that monkeys do. How the monkeys scare each other before having sex. They came up to people and were like, "Join the monkey sex cult," and the, and they say, hoo, 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 and keep walking around. Um, but it's better. It was better than saying, "Show your tits," like everyone else. <laughs> so it, it was kind of variation on the theme. But they had also um, made themselves a little compound in the camping area. So like this is our this is our place and it was just there's about I think there's about twenty of them all together and they just made a little compound and then they were starting to pile up um, garbage and rubbish and we think that might be where one of the first fires came from later on. Right. So you... I do I do I remember seeing that bit in the documentary but I don't remember the whole monkey. Right. Okay. Bit apart. So... Um, so, so that was in the spin article, and it was also on the podcast. The, the, I just thought monkey sex cult. I, I remember. Yeah. I remember sometimes there being randos doing monkey noises at festivals and stuff. Yeah, but strange people. But musically, the day opens up with Willie Nelson. Yeah, which is really weird considering like everything that we had the night before. That is really weird in in relation to everybody else. But I mean, that's like the one of the most woodstock acts you could find isn't yes it? and then also if you actually look at the set for that main stage or, or if you look at the lineup for that main stage on the the stage on the sunday it's not very good mm. it's like if you have to, had to look at it you'd think oh you would have thought lots of people would have been heading home on the Sunday because unless you're mega into the Chili Peppers, there's not a lot to hang around for. No. So you've got Al Green and Willie Nelson, that we call cool. The Brian Setzer Orchestra. I don't really know them. Do you know them? No. no. Elvis Costello, Everlast. Everlast is cool. Do you know Everlast? Yeah. Yeah, so Everlast is cool. Um, Jewel plays at half past five, and she says something on the documentary about the atmosphere being really weird. And like, yeah. she finishes the set and says to a drummer or something, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Creed, who are one of the worst bands I've ever seen or heard. There was, it was quite funny, though. Do you remember Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV? Yeah. It was like the claymation wrestling thing, wasn't it? They'd end up tearing each other's arms off and stuff. And there was a Eddie Vedder versus Scott Stapp episode. And it came on and it was like, you stole my voice. No, it was my <laughs> voice, but it was my voice first. So they're fighting over that, you know, classic grunt, the classic grunge voice and yeah, 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 tearing yeah. each other's windpipes out and stuff. So uh, that's how what I remember of Creed. Um, and then uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Who again were massive at the time after um, a bit of a hiatus in the mid '90s, where they only released one hot minute with like Dave Navarro. In it must have been '98, I suppose that um, back end of '98, I think that Californication came out and like John Frusciante was back in in the Chili Peppers and he was clean again for a bit, and they kind of 
changed their reputation a bit. They became this band that were known for Scar Tissue and Under the Bridge and um, uh, Could Have Lied, Californication, like real sort of like mellow stuff with like soaring guitars. And I think people kind of forgot that they were a very masculine band as well. Yeah. Like, I don't think you ever see it. Like, for a start, Flea comes on the stage completely naked. But I don't think I've ever seen a photograph of Anthony Kiedis with his shirt on. With his, no, no, yeah. And then <laughs> have you? he turns up in Point Break, don't they? Have you seen Point Break? Yeah. Keanu Reeves yeah. and Patrick Swayze, they're like the two surfer dudes that want to fight um kind of reads at the start aren't they so like yeah. so i don't like i think there's been a bit of a switcheroo whereas you know people think of the chili peppers as being like this soulful bunch of chilled out dudes and you can just ro- roll the joint and chill out into the chili peppers but i f- think they're a hard funk band and yeah like re- again like i say really masculine there's some of the stuff on blood sugar sex magic which is quite obscene really to be honest um and to be fair i think they fit quite well in with the vibe of the whole festival (laughs) yeah probably yeah um but about halfway through their set or is it after um before an encore someone starts setting fires yeah so there was a a fire gets set somewhere near the back of the crowd Mm -hmm. um the fire service are called and this is according to is it John Sher, the mm-hmm. the organizer? The, the fire service are called. They arrive. They say it's a ground fire and it will burn out if long as long as somebody as long as you leave it alone. Right. So the organizers ask the Chili Peppers if they can tell the crowd to leave it alone, basically, um, which they do, I think, and then they play "Fire" by Jimi Hendrix. So I heard that there'd been a few fires throughout the day against, you know, like people piling up the garbage and setting fire. And that for a start, the, um, like the, the, like the security or whatever come put the fire out, but no one would get bollocked. No one would get arrested or chucked out or anything. So they thought, well, we can, we'll just start another one. And then there were so many little fires getting that they could, you know, starting that they couldn't, couldn't keep, keep on top. And then the guy comes out onto stage, doesn't he? He says, um, we've got a little problem. Um, if you look behind you, you can see it. Um, it's in hand and we'll, we'll try and keep you all safe, but just be aware that that's there. And then they come out and play. Yeah. But apparently they had arranged to play fire anyway. Apparently it was in their set. Yeah, and they were doing a mashup of some of the other songs and stuff that was already in the set. Because they've but... been playing it for years, for a long time. I had an old. Um, there's a compilation of like B sides and rarities. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it came out around, if not just before, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which was like '92, and it's got stuff on there like Higher Ground, the Stevie Wonder cover, and I think they even do Castles in the Sand, which is another Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. Um, stuff like that so they like fire had been in their set for a long time but they'd specifically asked if uh they'd asked someone from Jimi hendrix's estate i think it was his sister if they could play yeah. it at the woodstock and she, like it, yeah. it, she they don't she'd only said yes like that afternoon yeah so i don't so it was it was but it was pre-planned it wasn't like all oh, there's a fire so let's sing That's fire quiet. it seems like another one of them little moments where they could have looked at each other and said 
should we play something else and because of by the time you get to the sunday night they must know to a certain extent what's gone on beforehand yeah so and i i, I think just jumping back slightly i think on the sunday a lot of people were trying to leave mm-hmm. but because it was gridlocked they mm-hmm. couldn't get they couldn't get out so a lot of them were still there maybe not so much there to participate in the rest of the festival, but they were still there. They couldn't, they couldn't go anywhere move. else. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, at what point it... after, like, so you basically been baked on concrete on a old RAF base, which is also for the toxic waste. I found out. Um, yeah. Or it had um, uh, it had a um, designation of a toxic waste site or something, didn't it? Um, yeah. So you've basically been kettled for three days with three hundred and fifty thousand people. With no water, those are drugs. You know, those are alcohol. You've either had the shit kicked out of you, or you've been groped at every opportunity. Like, it, like, why are you still there on Sunday? Why would you still be there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, like I know Sam left a festival um, on the other way. Like Bruce Springsteen was due to play, and he loved it, but it, Sam left and went home because it was wet. <laughs> do you know what i mean so like he wouldn't yeah. have lasted <laughs> yeah yeah did they like was it a badge of honor to make it through to the end or something i, I don't know maybe or maybe the fact that it was a little bit more remote yeah and so many people trying to get out there was just gridlock they couldn't get out or maybe it was maybe just some just... kind of mass psychosis that yeah but then by 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 sunday night then it kicks all, off, doesn't it? All, all hell's broken. Yeah. As soon as the chili peppers finish, that's it, isn't it? It's yeah, over. so there's reports of people walking around with like jackets and T-shirts and stuff from some of the vendor stands. And it's like, oh, where do you get them from? Well, there's no one there, so I just fucking took it. Yeah. And then um, some people got hold of one of the wagons where they were storing the water. And like and like the good capitalists they were, they were selling it for $2 a bottle instead of 4 <laughs> That's what I read. Um, And then it just like, there seemed to be a mutual decision to tear the place down. Whatever hadn't already been ripped down. Yeah. Was ripped down, set on fire. Or the the wagons that I mentioned earlier that the person was filming from, they were all broken into and they were just looting and trying to take all the stuff out. They basically just that's like I say they they called martial law mm-hmm. at that point later on in the night. Um, I assume it doesn't say in the documentary. I don't think that once the chili peppers finished and they got off, they went. I assume the rave wasn't on for the rest of the night. I think the rave was still going do. because I, I, I think so. Um, there was talk about. Um, there were still people dancing and stuff, and then there was people dancing, and then a guy went and grabbed some kind of flag, and then the security people thought he was some kind of ringleader. Right. So they 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 took him in. He was just there dancing, like um. But there's a long time between Chili Peppers finishing, all hell breaking loose, and them being able to get it under any sort of control. Oh yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like I, I, I don't. I think a lot of the people who were meant to be, like, looking after the place, if like, or looking after the people there, just said "fuck this." And you know, there was a one of the guys who was like security told the people who who were still around, like, put your credentials inside your shirt, turn your shirt inside out, because if they think you're security, they'll probably kill you. 
Yeah, well, they were worried about being turned on by the crowd, so they were hiding. So here we go. At 10.30pm, while Megadeth are still playing on the other stage, a state police and a fire engine attempt to approach a bonfire but gave up when the crowd unleashed a missile attack containing uh, mainly bottles. They then pulled down a... Oh, no, they rocked a 50-foot speaker tower. The cable snapped and still bolts popped from their fittings. The tower came down at 10.45. Speakers and lightning equipment were then hurled into the fire. At 11pm, the Rebel Army... They call it the Rebel Army, so (laughs) there you go. Darth Vader turned up in it. Uh, uh, Surged towards the centre of the uh, campground. Police and security personnel were largely absent. Uh, There's one kid with a megaphone who was saying, will everyone please pick up one piece of garbage and throw it on the fire? (laughs) Right. So at some point, uh, this might be what you're getting at then. Okay, so here it says, a tent was on fire. At some point, rioters took control of a PA system for long enough to declare Woodstock is now under martial law. Anyone here who has a good time will be shot. Anybody with a Woodstock MasterCard will be spared. Right. Is, I'm guessing there was, you know, that's a little bit of the anti-capitalism, isn't it? You know, it's... Yeah. Um, then they start setting fire to everything, the tents for the people selling stuff, all the cardboard boxes, all the camping stuff, anything that wasn't nailed down to getting chucked on the fire. Uh, 11.45, approximately uh, 500 to 700 state troopers in riot gear arrived on the site some with pepper spray, and they pushed the crowd away from the East Age, but the campsite area can, chaos continued unabated. Uh, there's an estimated 30 to 40,000 kids at the centre, some throwing garbage at the police. The officers shouted at them, but were not making any arrests. Um, someone from MTV said, it looked like fucking Lord of the Flies. Kids were shouting, let it burn. Um, wild-eyed capitalists decided to make a withdrawal from the ATMs. I saw people gather around the ATM and I thought they were getting cash and then I realised they were breaking into it with their bare hands. They didn't have any tools. Like, what can we break? Let's get yeah. at it. Like, As if it wasn't already bad. <laughs> um, so a guy was trying, um, hoping to see Perry Farrell... Uh, Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction um, and he was like the guy behind all the Palooza and all that. He was doing like a DJ set in the rave hangar. So right. so this guy, Matt Robin, his name is, went to the rave hangar to try and see Perry Farrell and when he got there he found people stealing all the boxes of the CDs and there's a few guards and then uh, there's a few people uh, setting fire to stuff. I was trying to stay away from that, he said, but some... Uh, Someone shouted, hey, put the fire out. We're doing something federal over here. And then someone handed him a flag. And he said, I don't know where it came from. I just took it and I thought we were having fun. Uh, He then saw a man waving another flag, burning hay. Hang on, bollocks. It took him a day in the county lockup to figure out why and how deeply he stepped in shit. So basically, he was just like, oh, yeah, this looks like fun. Yeah, I'll hold the flag. And then the next day he's arrested and he's in prison. Yeah, like, like again, mass psychosis or just mob mentality. Yeah, there's one thing I did here, and you know I was saying about this contract of you're at a big festival and you look after the boat next year. So I felt 
um, from what I was reading and what I'd heard, and obviously on the documentary, that the only time that actually happened for the whole time was when the riots kicked off. So there was a um, a van on fire and some kids were in the van and then they realised that the van they just set fire to had a refrigerated thing on it and like if the fire got to it, it was going to explode and they made sure everyone was out of the out of the way of where this refrigerated van could explode. Right. So it's fine for everyone to kick the shit out of each other during corn or then biscuit <laughs> but make sure they don't get caught in don't get hurt in the riot yeah like that con it, that contract of looking after each other didn't kick in until they were burning the place down until it was like but, too may, late. but maybe that's the one time of the whole festival they're actually united in a cause yeah it, against in an ideal the, the, or you know yeah same yeah. one time there's some joined up thinking against against being absolutely fleeced of all your money for yeah. the whole weekend yeah. so, so Roughly, I worked out $150 a ticket times 350,000 people was about 45 million. Right. Around that area. So the organisers have come out afterwards and there's been certain lawsuits and stuff like that since. They come out and said that they only broke even. Right. On that festival. Now, well, I, I would say they probably paid Metallica 3 million. Maybe I reckon. I no, no, that's what I think the going rate for a band of that side would have been for a gig like that. I reckon. I suppose you've got to factor in all the acts that played. Yeah, there's a lot of acts, isn't there? Yeah, they're not I mean, all getting forty-five million. million. Sounds a lot, but in terms of paying the talent, but that's, maybe not. And also, but also that's just from um, tickets. Tickets. So yeah. if you're selling water at four dollars a ticket, yeah, 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 a uh, bottle, but. And I don't. I, I, as I understood it, the um, the water, the the vendors, the people selling shit, were all underneath the umbrella of Woodstock, rather than is under a quid for my pitch and I make what I can. Yeah. It was yeah. all kind of direct. It, you know. Yeah, and that, and that, the the deal they had with MTV was because they were going to put the DVD out, the documentary. Yeah, because there was the plane the flying around, and yeah, yeah, they were going to have the music CD out as well. Or all that comes into it, doesn't it? So, I mean, for them to say they only broke even is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> got to be on it. <laughs> so, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Yeah, but I know I, I researched that in October of the same year, the inaugural Coachella Festival takes place. Yes, they have they offer free parking, free water. It runs smoothly and reportedly makes a hundred million in revenue. That's because Bjork headlined. That's why, and she's amazing. <laughs> and it was organised yeah. better. Yes. But look at Coachella now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I think like, I wanted to get into. I know we've spoken about it before. I kind of wanted to get into the commercialisation of festivals and live music in general because i think this is quite a good it's quite a good lens to hold up to see to see repeated mistakes if you like um so i kind of feel that this this festival was put on by the people who went to the it was put on by people who went to the first woodstock in 69 and felt that this generation, my generation, needed something the same. 
Yeah. And we were very much, or would have been very much like, well, we don't want what you had. Yeah. Because like the whole point of like the whole Generation X thing, and, and I know that's a broad brush to paint it with as well. Well, it's like we were the first to realize that we're not going to have it better than our parents, that um, shit's hard and we've been sold a bit of a lie. And yeah. maybe we're not all about the money. And I, I say to Sam on our podcast um, quite regularly that like seven, eight for us was a massive thing. You did not sell out. You did not like it was integrity over cash at every opportunity. And like the, the whole Pearl Jam Nirvana feud was over a, um, Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder both said they weren't going to do this photo shoot for for Time magazine in about 92. And um, so Eddie Vedder said, yeah, that's fine. If you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Neither of us want to do it. Shit. So Time used the stock image of Eddie Vedder. And then, so Kurt Cobain was like, you fucking sell out. You went on and did it. And when we said neither of us were going to do it, and he's like, well, yeah. I, they used the stock image and it was a record company. But that caused a huge feud. And I think... Um, yeah, I don't know how many of the kids or how, or how many people of our generation really connected to that whole Woodstock thing. Right. That whole vibe of 69 and that. It's like, yeah, it, it was cool for you, but it's not ours. And like, we just wanted stuff that was ours, as selfish as that might be. Um, and then, it's and like, then... and a lot of it's like, like the older generations telling us what we want, what what we not what we want, but what we need. That 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 was mentioned in the documentary, right. wasn't it? Yeah, I think a little bit of um, them deciding that that we needed this festival. And I wonder, then you 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 factor in the genre of music, mm. the bands that are around, the era that it is, the time it is, what them kids are actually doing in the climate that they're in mm -hmm. none of it married up to 69 and like I, like i've touched on earlier like i think at the end of the 90s there was all that um hope and promise of the early 90s it just kind of fizzled out and just gave way to more bullshit and i, I was wondering whether slightly because of the uh <clears throat> the the millennium bug and the mm -hmm year 2000 and all of that that was coming with all the scaremongering around yep. it the world was going to end the computers were going to shut off and all this kind of stuff whether it all culminates into kids that just fuck it let's just go for it yeah the, like if, if we, we, you know if this millennium bugs a thing or the mayan calendar or whatever we could all be dead in three months time yeah i mean i went to australia <laughs> you know in the november <laughs> um i will say that that I feel that there's a lot of that goes on now, especially when it comes to festivals. And it's like, you look at the festivals and it's 200 quid for a ticket, even for like the little festival at the road. And as much as I want to go see the Pixies, it's 200 pound for a weekend ticket. This isn't a big festival. This is just a little festival up in Blanford Forum. They've got the Pixies playing. I'd love to yeah. do that. I could find 200 quid if I really wanted to. But my boy can't. Yeah. And he probably wouldn't want to go see the Pixies anyway. Yeah. But the promoters know it doesn't matter if he doesn't, because I probably will. <laughs> yeah. But it's not my fucking turn. 
That's yeah, yeah. You, you, do you know? And it's like I, it's like Fleetwood Mac. Like we, we lived on the Isle of Wight for a while, and we had the, the Isle of Wight Festival on our doorstep, and you'd have like Fleetwood Mac playing, and you'd have that original Woodstock generation. Oh, great! We get to go and watch Fleetwood Mac. Well, I didn't really want to watch Fleetwood Mac, and the kids that are twenty don't want to watch Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And it's, oh, but you've got to see Fleetwood Mac because they were so good in the 70s. I couldn't give a fuck about the 70s. Like, you know, music for me started in 91 and finished in 95. Like, that do. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm, you know, I'm messing around. But I don't know. And it's even, there was someone saying the other day about um, going to see Tool and it was going to be like $200 for a ticket to see Tool. And I was like, it's it's too much money, but they know you'll pay it. And yeah. new bands don't get the opportunity to play in those middle-sized venues because the kids haven't got the money. But it's all right because their dads will pay to see, pay 75 quid to see Pearl Jam, so we'll make our money with that. Hmm. So where, where where do the kids get their music? Like, like I said to you, I went to see, I'd go to gigs for like eight quid to see Therapy. And fe- Therapy would have a, you know, an album just out that they were a relevant band and you know songs in the in the hit parade if you like it number 12 or whatever eight pound 12 pound and now it's you want to go to a gig it's like 60 quid mm. i'd say for you know for a for a mid-level band in a mid-level venue you're probably looking at 40 or 50 quid i would have thought for a ticket yeah yeah it's uh it's expensive so. i mean i've got i've got a lot of romanticism probably around that first festival i went to mm-hmm. And I keep threatening I'm going to go to another one soon. But as I think about it, I'm probably not. Do you know, watching this documentary and listening to it, it's put me right off. You just, it's, they are dirty, miserable places, aren't they? And especially if you go to one in this country, it rains nonstop, even in the summer. So guaranteed you're going to get a washout at certain points. And uh, it's a lot of money to be spending on a miserable wet weekend, isn't it? It is. I will say I don't think that anything quite like Woodstock '99 could ever happen again, just because we now have mobile phones. Yeah, and that, that's that brings sorry. a completely different feel to festivals than that now. And I think that's why there's so many of these boutique festivals that are popping up everywhere. Is because it's you. I don't know how again. I'm quite, no, I'm happy to take this. I wonder how many people go to the festival for the Insta, yeah, to get the photos of them looking in the in their festival gear, you know, Canadago and their straw hat, chilling out to madness for the fifteenth time or whatever. <laughs> how like how much like when we went, it was about the bands. So yeah. we'd would have a drink, we'd have a little smoke, but we never get fucked up because we were there for the music. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. would get carried. You might get carried away in the pit, and you know, and like I said earlier, nothing, you wouldn't go out to hurt people. But you know, you get carried away. You might get battered, but you're there for the music. It's like right, such and such is playing at two o'clock. I can watch them. I, I can watch Foo Fighters at two o'clock on the main stage, and then if I quick, I can get over and see Pennywise on the Warp tour, and then someone else is in this tent. And you're planning your day around who's playing where. And I think yeah. there's a lot of it now. Of oh well, we'll go and have a few beers and take take some selfies and you. Know, is that fair, or is that just me being really old? No, I think I think that's right, and I don't know if that's right because the 
the people that are going to the festivals have made it that way or if the festival people have noticed that that's a thing and they're catering to it mm-hmm. now. I'm not sure which way around it is, but nevertheless, it does happen. And, and yeah, I just... I always wanted to take my kids to a festival, mm-hmm. but... We've taken them to a couple. So we took them to the um, Isle of Wight Festival in 2012. But, like, Hazel would take them... We were planning on camping, and it was really wet, and Isaac was not quite one. So he was being up in arms all day. It was really wet. So we ended up... Because we hadn't quite moved back there yet. and But we ended up staying in a, in a friend's... Um, back garden instead of on the campsite we walked through the campsite with all our festival gear all our camping gear we we're just like this is mental i can't have the kids in this F- phone up our friends and and like they only lived 100 yards from the festival site so it was perfect but hazel would take the kids back when they got tired and i stayed to watch like tom petty and pearl jam and stuff like that so it's it's brilliant and then we went we used to go to one called rhythm tree um on the other white and that was a real good family friendly little festival like and it was like more unknown bands and yeah. unsigned bands like had a bit of a world music vibe and it's really cool but i don't know if i've got one of these big festivals in me anymore that's it i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> i have a massive hot take about this festival do we want it or do we want to leave it for another day uh no no let's have it right in in the spirit of Woodstock, let's just right. bear all. <laughs> all right, okay. So I have a massive hot take that the same kids that were rioting and rebelling at Woodstock 99 grow up into the adults that get Donald Trump elected in 2016. And you're smiling and you're laughing. Yeah. So... If you go back to the bands that formed the way, or, 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 or the, the, the people that formed the wave of bands that I got into in the early 90s, so, you know, and I've touched on this already, so the, the Eddie Vedders and the Chris Cornells and the all those sort of grunge bands, they're always the outsiders in, the, in, in their communities, but they retreat because they're the outsiders, because they're insular, because they're introverts, because they like not great socially, they retreat into something they can do by themselves. Now, for some people, that might be um, Dungeons and Dragons, or painting Warhammer models, or writing, or then play guitar, something like that. At some point, all of those sort of hobbies, like during the eighties, which you know, they require interaction with another person. So, if you're playing guitar, you eventually will push through your social anxiety to talk to someone and maybe form a band. You might get together with some mates to play Dungeons and Dragons and you form your little community that involve going places with other people. By the time you get to, you know, and then they form bands and, you know, empower more people to form bands, so on and so forth. You get to 99, you've got, well, two things. Well, one thing at Woodstock is you've got like, these kids that probably don't get a lot of action in that department going, oh, there's a boob there. I touched my first boob. Yay. Um, but you can have the same, you can have the same kid that's insular and awkward and not involved in, you know, stuff socially that retreats to his bedroom, but then he gets on the internet and it's anonymous and it's, 
and and it leads into like 4chan and 8chan and you know all these chat rooms that just breed hate and horribleness and make it all right to be a you know if it starts off it's all right to be a bit racist and then you end up being you know full-on nasty bastard like um and it kind of breeds that i call them the army of unfuckable hate nerds <laughs> right and and then that leads into like meme culture and everything and all of that around like the locker up and all of that around hillary clinton to get trump yeah. elected i think a lot of the people that end up in meme culture in 4chan and in like the incel movement i think we see a lot of those at woodstock 99 and i think it comes out of a certain type of very white entitlement i can't disagree with you <laughs> i know it's a massive leap but it's it's possible it's you've got a load of kids who are saying shit's not working for me yeah so i'm gonna break stuff i'm going to fuck shit up and you end up with riots at woodstock the same kids say obama's not working for me the country isn't the government for the last eight years hasn't worked for me i'm gonna fuck shit up and vote for trump and you could argue the same here with Brexit, but we don't need to get into that too much. But, <laughs> but yeah, do you, you, do you know what I mean? It's that it's that I'm going to push back against everything I'm told is right for me. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Woodstock '99. How'd you enjoy that? <laughs> what a show! Oh man, that John Sher was an absolute prick. I thought. Yeah. For what, like, it was just like. Yeah, some of the stuff he was talking about. Just for... you know, I feel like, like Michael Lang was the original organiser, but he was just interested in schmoozing with, yeah. with the bands, Yeah, that's he? right, yeah. And, uh, and the first one was like almost a free festival because it was poor planning, the fences came down. Yes. He would have done the same again, but John Sher was more the money man. Who that's right. He wanted to capitalise on making money out of the festival, and the two together, poor planning and lack yeah, of yeah, organisation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just focusing on the money, and you get... 99. Yeah. So there's one quote in this um, uh, article on from the Spin magazine that I feel sums up the whole thing. And it's from um, rapper, guitarist, blues man, I think he's amazing, Everlast, who was in House of Pain and now he does his solo stuff. Like, I think Whitey Ford Sings the Blues is a wicked album. But I yeah. think that was his first solo one from about 96, 97. Have you got that one or... And then there was Eat It Whiteys, and that that was the two I had. One of them had like I've Black Jesus to on bits it. and pieces, yeah. but I don't think I've had full albums. All oh, right, okay. check him out; he's really cool. Like, but he says people who are trying to this is right after the concert. People are trying to blame the bands for what the kids did, and say that it's a reflection on the or what a reflection it is on this generation. All those people are nostalgic for something that happened thirty years ago. I don't think anything real came out of that first experience. It was just three days of sex and drugs and, oh, the world is such a great place. Then they went home, became yuppies, and fucked the whole country up. <laughs> and that's exactly how I feel that, that certainly mu the music industry is gone. 
If you're listening on Jamie's Talking Dad feed, you can find me over on recordsandbands.com or Records and Bands wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on the Records and Bands feed, we can get Jamie. Talking Dad UK 1 on all social media and Talking Dad UK on all podcast platforms. Brilliant. Cool. All right. Cheers. Right, catch you later. Thanks, man. See Bye. you later. Bye.